You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, get to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Come, let us adore him. Verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that... We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God of glory, we ask that you open our eyes tonight. Amen. Welcome back to Overflow, guys, the very last one of the year. Uh, We've had a great semester. Aaron doesn't know how to move his mic. Um, Great semester. Uh, One of my favorites, uh, it seems like just yesterday, uh, we were planning about 40 freshman events and late nights. Uh, We went to campus, uh, to UNT and to TWU on our campus tour. We had a freshman campout that was for freshmen only, and it was the biggest campout we've ever had. Um, And then uh, it's basically pure chaos. Uh, God bless Rachel and Caitlin and Jesse for pulling that one together. Uh, We loved camping so much that three weeks later, uh, we did it again, and we had over 200 people uh, at this Halloween campout where we worshiped on the beach. We watched Hocus Pocus. Uh, and we, gosh, what else did we do? We had a massive Halloween costume contest. Um, we had guys like Wade Morris come, and Shane Pruitt, and Drew Worsham, and Chris Lovell uh, teach us from God's word. Uh, we had a baptism night where we baptized 33 people. Uh, and since then, I think we've baptized about 10 more college students at this church. All of this a testament to God's grace and his glory. And now... We are at the finish line of wrapping this baby up uh, here at Overflow uh, and in school as you guys, uh, what, take finals. 
Um, some of you are wrapping up group projects. Uh, is anybody graduating uh, in December? Oh, let's give them a round of applause. You made it. The other side, the other side of this line, it's so sweet. The grass is very green. Um, to wrap up the year here, we launched into a three-week series that I called A Mission for Glory. And my goal has been to show you from Scripture why the universe exists, why you exist, why things happen, why is God doing the things that he is doing. And my prayer is that the same thing would happen to you that happened to me, that once I was showed this truth, I could not read the Bible without seeing it. And so that truth being that God is on a mission for glory, that everything God does, creating you, saving you, and orchestrating all things is for one purpose, and is to glorify his name. And each week, I've tried to start the night off laying the foundation of this truth by pulling different verses of Scripture from the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, but tonight, I want to show it to you in one passage of Scripture over and over and over again. And that passage of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 1. And when you see a truth like God is for his own glory, and then you read a passage like Ephesians 1, uh, you can't stop seeing it. And so get a pen or a highlighter and read with me in Ephesians chapter 1 one more time. We'll pick back up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? Why did he do this? According to the purpose of his will. What's his will? To the praise of his glorious grace. Underline that phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us, his grace has blessed us in the beloved, Christ. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Why? Why did God do this? According to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that, why? Why did he do this? We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There it is again. Underline that. Highlight that phrase. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Again, highlight, underline that phrase. This is a remarkable passage in the Bible because it lets us in on why is God doing things? Read with me. Why? He blesses us with spiritual blessing, chose us, predestined us for adoption, redeemed us, forgave us, 
He lavishes his grace on us. Praise God. He made known to us the mystery of his will. He will unite all things on heaven and earth. He gave us an inheritance and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He does all of these things with one overarching purpose. And that is to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That God does everything to the praise of his glory. That we might see it and treasure it, and praise it, and worship it with our lives, that is the reality that we live in, that God is on a pursuit for his own glory, and he's going to get it. Psalm 115.3, my God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases, and it pleases God that creation would glorify him, so he's going to get it. He's going to get it. Creation praising him, and we've seen in scripture that when God does this, he is not unloving, but he is loving that he is loving, that his glory is our reward, that he gets the glory, we get the joy. And our, our joy is because we have been satisfied in him over all things, over our families, our friends, our careers, our possessions, and yes, even our own lives. We are satisfied in him over all things. And in light of this truth, my aim with this series was to show you in scripture how we play a part in God's mission for his own glory. In part one, we looked at what it means to pray for the glory, to pray for the glory, that if God is on a mission for his glory and in turn our good, we want to pray, God glorify yourself. And in Matthew 6, Jesus actually teaches us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not overflows kingdom come. Not our will be done, but God's will be done, even if God's will for our life is not our will for our lives. We want God to glorify himself, and we see that very clearly as Jesus, who is God, teaches us to pray for God's glory. God is on a pursuit for his own glory, and he's going to get it, so we pray for it. Last week, in part two, we looked at what it means to go for God's glory that God wants his name to be great among all the nations. And in the end, God accomplishes it. He gets his name great among every tribe, tongue, and people group. That God has a plan to get this done. He ordains the means or the ends of it. And so the means is a can't-lose thing. Missions is a can't-lose thing. And when you align your life into the will of God, you cannot waste your life. You cannot waste it. And we see in scripture that we are supposed to be equally devoted to the Great Commission, making disciples amongst all nations. And that devotion is going to manifest itself into two ways, either going down in the well or holding the rope for those who do. And that some of you in here are called to go down to the well. And everyone else in this room is called to hold the rope for those who go down. And as dangerous and fearful as that might be, going down into the well, uh, we take heart because God says, this shall be done, period. And so we go for the glory. And now we are here in the last overflow of the semester and part three of this series. Pray for the glory, go for the glory, and now suffer for the glory. The title of tonight's message is Suffer for the Glory. And of all the messages in this series and in my life that I've ever written, 
This is perhaps the most challenging, the most delicate, and the most prayed-over message I've ever written. Uh, Why? Because tonight, we're going to be talking about suffering and hardship and things that everyone in this room is going through. But I stand before you right now uh, as someone who has not, or not yet, gone through near as what some of you may have gone through. There are people in this room uh, that I care deeply for, uh, whose mom has cancer, who struggles every day with depression, whose dad has had heart attacks, who doesn't even know where their next meal is going to come from, and who have tasted things that I have not ever tasted in my life. And for that reason, you have the right to say, no, he's never walked in my shoes. He's never had to do what I've had to do. He's never, he didn't grow up in my neighborhood. He can't, why, who are you to tell me about suffering and why it exists? And for that case, you're right. I have no right to speak on my own experience. But you didn't come here to hear from Zach's experience. You came here to hear from the word of God. Not from me. And my prayer is that by seeing what God's word says about these things, that you will find comfort and joy even through the midst of these things. So why do I want to talk about this tonight? Why pray, go, suffer? Um, I've tried my best to point you to the truth that God is on a mission for glory, that he will get glory, and that is just the reality that we live in. But also in the reality that we live in is cancer and death and sickness and anxiety and depression and death and suicide, and divorce, and heartache, hunger, starvation, Alzheimer's, you name it. That is also in the reality that we live in, and how many of you have asked yourself, why would God allow pain and suffering? Zach, you're going you're gonna to have to explain this one to me. How in the world does suffering fit into that, his mission for his glory? How, how can suffering possibly bring about the glory of God? Because the truth is that even suffering is going to get God glory, but can I really suffer for the glory? So first, before I begin, there's a verse that is overarching this sermon series, and especially uh, tonight, that I want to keep in the forefront of our minds as we talk about suffering, and it's Romans 8, 28, and it says this, and we know, not we think, not we kind of know, but we know this, that for those who love God, all things not just good things, all things, including bad things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This is going to go back to that connection. We saw in Ephesians 1 that God does what? All things to the praise of his glory. But we see here God does everything for our good. That God's glory and our good and our joy are not two opposites. They are one and the same. He gets the glory and we get the good. This is not just something that Zach is making up. It's right here in scripture. And tonight, I need you to see this. That God causes all things to work together for the good, for the good of those who love God. And if you're a believer and you've been here for a while, you may go, yeah, I know that. But if you aren't a believer or you're a new believer here, what we're going to talk about tonight is one of the most profound and important things I've ever learned in my life. So, with that being said, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John 11, that's where we're going to be camped out tonight. 
we're trying to answer the question, how can suffering possibly bring about the glory of God? Or even more so, our joy. Because that's my claim. That suffering's going to bring about the glory of God. And if the glory of God is our joy, how in the world is suffering going to bring us joy? How can it possibly bring us joy? John 11 is a very familiar passage. Uh, it's about the resurrection of Lazarus. So if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this story. And if you didn't, don't worry. We're going to read the bulk of it tonight. But Jesus is walking around, and he's teaching with his disciples. And something's going to happen in John 11 that is incredibly important to how we view suffering. So John chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 1. If you got it, say got it. Now a certain man was ill. He was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So we've got three siblings. The sisters sent to him, him being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus gets news that his boy Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is sick. This isn't just some random guy. This is one of Jesus' close friends, and his sisters send news to Jesus that he is sick. And look at what Jesus says in verse 4 again. But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So immediately, what does Jesus do? He takes the suffering, and he puts it in relation to the glory of God. This suffering is for the glory of God. It's not for sickness or death. There's going to be sickness. There is sickness, and there's going to be death. Lazarus is going to die, but this isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is glory. So you try to bring this home to us. Uh, when things go bad in your life, uh, when all we see is sickness and death, uh, we don't see the end of the story quite yet. Okay, we, don't, we can't see it yet. We haven't experienced the resurrection yet. We don't see God's sovereign hand directing things for his glory and our good. All we see is pain. But let's move on to verse 5, because this next point is really going to drive it home. Verse 5 says this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So first, John goes out of his way again to make sure we know Jesus loves Lazarus. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus. John's going to make that point clear because what Jesus does next does not seem loving at all. It is not what love is to us. It is going to turn our definition of love upside down. The key point in this passage is that word so at the beginning of six. They teach you grammar all throughout grade school. That word so is a conjunction. It combines two thoughts, right? Uh, how does this work out? I was hungry, so I ate. I was thirsty, therefore I drank. Why did I drink? I was thirsty, right? Welcome back to fourth grade. Um, um, why is this important? First, listen to me. God gave us a book. 
And a book has words and sentences and themes and narrative and poetry. He didn't give us a video. He gave us a book. And words have meaning. And God intends for words to have meanings. And second, bless you, these words, these words like therefore and so and because and in order to or but, those words in Scripture, pay attention, that shows us the mind of God. Why does God do these things? Because this, or so that he could do this. These are important words in Scripture, and especially right here. Look back at verse 5, and and try to figure this out logically. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus so. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. There is a connection between love and death here. You got to see it. Jesus loved Lazarus. Therefore, he stayed put for two days. Jesus loved Lazarus. Therefore, he did not go heal Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus. Therefore, he let Lazarus die. You see that. Jesus chose for Lazarus to die here. He knew Lazarus was going to die and he could have stopped it. But he didn't. Because he loved him. But how is that love? That's the question that John is pushing us to. How He's setting it up. John is telling us Jesus loved him, he loved him, so he let him die. That is the question John wants us to ask. Look back at verse 4. That's the answer, but we don't see the big picture yet. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that is how it is love. That's how it is love. This illness, this death, is going to put the glory of God on full display. It's going to put his power on display when he raises him from the dead. And it's going to make God look like the glorious God that he is. And, and what is love? What is the most loving thing God can do? Put his glory on display, even if it's through suffering. Even if it's through suffering. With this in mind, let's read through what happens next. Skip to verse 14. Then Jesus told them, his disciples, who were grumbling plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus just said he was glad Lazarus died. Why? Because this death will lead to belief in God. This death will will lead to belief. Keep reading. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. It was about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha met him. When the Jews who were in the house Consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Oh, yes, he could have. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Thanks, Martha. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. This is all about the glory of God. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this. Why did you say it, Jesus? On account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. You connect that believe with the believe in verse 40. Jesus says he's saying all of these things, that they may believe. And if they believe, they will see the glory of God. This is all about the glory of God. Verse 43. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him, let him go. And verse 45 is important. Many of the Jews, therefore, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Uh, There's really two things I want to key in on here uh, in order to bring this home to us. Um, First is this, and it's really important. God's highest priority is not to remove hardship from your life. God's highest priority, his highest motivation for what he does is not to remove hardship from your life. It's to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. And in order to get glory... God allows us to go through hard times so that we and the people around us would believe and see the glory of God. For example, I'll speak from experience. If my parents had not got a divorce, I most likely would not have came to UNT. And if I wouldn't have came to UNT, it means I wouldn't have came here to meet Jesus. And I wouldn't have met all of the people in Denton whom I love. If I had if I, my parents had not got a divorce. And as much as I prayed in that time that God would keep my parents together, he didn't. 
Because his highest priority was not to remove hardship in my life. It was to get glory, to get me to come here, to bend on my knees and cry out, Father, and to be used by God here in Denton. God's highest priority, and here's the deal. If I had known 10 years ago that this is where I would be and all the joys in my life, I would not be praying the same prayer that I prayed back then. I heard something from Austin Smith at Hope Defenders on Sunday night. If you know everything that God knows, your prayers would change. Your prayers would change. Instead of praying, God, keep my parents together, I, pray, I would have prayed, thy will be done. Thy will be done, even if it was my parents getting a, a divorce. And the key point here is that when we pray, God, glorify yourself, thy will be done, this is important. You've got to know that the suffering you're going through is actually an answer to that prayer. That even suffering could be to the glory of God. What a God that we serve, that he could use suffering, all things, to work together for our good. Second is that God's love did not stay far off. Praise God. He came here as an infant born in a manger that we celebrate with Christmas. He lived a life, and he experienced the same suffering that we did. You see it in this verse. He wept. Our God cried. He was deeply moved. He experienced pain on a cross that we will never experience. Perhaps the most comforting thing is that Jesus himself knows that we feel, uh, knows what we feel when we do feel hurt. We don't have a savior who doesn't know, who can't, you know, sympathize. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a high priest or a savior who can't sympathize with us. We have one who in every respect was tried and tempted, but without sin. Praise God, our Savior was born. So two questions come to my mind at this point in the sermon. First, why did God set it up this way? Why do we have to suffer? Why not create a world without suffering? Couldn't you have just wiped away every sickness, every death? He could have. You want to know why? I know he could have, because he's going to. When Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, I'm not suffering anymore. Revelation 21.4, it says this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So why not now? Lord, you're going to do it then. Why not now? Why don't you do this now? And he says, that's not the plan. That's not the plan. And you can get in God's face about this. You say, I don't like the plan. I don't like to suffer, God. Why do I have to do this? And he says, that's the plan. And he, and he lets us in on a little bit of why that's the plan. He says, I'm going to get glory. That this illness, this cancer, this depression, this anxiety, it's, go, it's not going to lead to death. It's going to lead to the glory of God. I'm going to get glory out of your life. I'm going to get glory. Of course you can't see it yet. I have not raised you from the dead yet. When Lazarus died, there was four days that Mary and Martha were experiencing pretty hard sadness because they haven't experienced the resurrection yet. Uh, and you might say, Zach, Lazarus, it's different. He was resurrected four days later. It's like it didn't even happen. First of all, Lazarus' death was a real death. 
And our God cried about it. It hurt. That is a real death. Yes, he got raised, but so were you. The only difference is the time. And in, in light of eternity, that time difference is nothing. It is nothing. God will get his glory. So that's where we stand, right in the middle of this. All we see is illness and death and cancer. Not yet the glory, but it will come. God is going to get his glory. And the fact that you have to battle and get tired every day puts you in the bed. And the fact that you get hurt every day puts you in the hospital. Listen, God's the bed. And God is the hospital and you run to him, he gives you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. There's a reason why God makes us fill up each day. You want to know why you run out of gas each day? To put you in the station. And God is the station. It shows our dependence on him. We can't do this without him. If, if we didn't depend on God, you would think that this is all coming from you. That you are pride, you get prideful, that all of this, if there were no suffering, you're thinking, I'm doing good. But God gives us suffering to show our dependence on him. And you can see how he would get glory from that. He is the gift and the giver, and we run to him in time of need. And to close, the second question that comes up now, in my head at least, is how do we do this? How do we suffer for the glory? How, how can we possibly suffer and bring God glory. Uh, I want to show you a few texts from Scripture and then give you the answer that I see. Starting with James. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 5 more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. First Peter 4, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, when his glory is revealed. Acts 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, they being Peter and John, rejoicing that they were counted worthy enough to suffer dishonor for his name. And then my favorite, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided if we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And this is where it really comes home to me to say this. But the Bible is very clear. How do we suffer for the glory? We rejoice. We rejoice. How do you suffer for the glory? You have joy in the sufferings. And so listen to what I'm saying. We have joy. Why? Why do we have joy? Because this suffering that we experience does not lead to death. It leads to the glory of God. God getting glory is connected with us getting joy. But this is the key. Um, there's a difference between happiness and joy. I'm not telling you to be, I'm not saying don't be happy. I'm not saying you can't be happy. I'm not saying you, ha you, know, you can't mourn. 
or you can't weep, or you can't be tired, you can't be exhausted when you suffer. That's not human. You're not supposed to be happy when your child dies. You're not supposed to be happy when you get in a wreck. The Bible says weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on circumstance. It comes and goes based on what happens. You win the lottery, happiness. Cowboys win, happiness. It just comes and goes. But joy is different. Joy is deeper. And joy is rooted in something. So when you root your joy in the things of the world, like uh, possessions, career, family, friends, and that stuff is taken from you, you're crushed. And you're driven to the brink of death. But when you're a Christian, your joy is not rooted in the world. It is rooted in the blood-bought, God-glorifying promises of God. Promises like, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Promises like, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not tribulation or persecution or distress or nakedness or famine or peril or sword. And promises like, he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no death, and there will be no mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And when your joy is rooted in promises like that, your joy is not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And how attractive is that? How attractive is that joy in a dark world where everything seems to be going terrible in your life, when all around your soul gives way, he then is all your hope and stay. That is like a, that is in a dark world, that is a light that shines almost as if the glory of God was here on earth. So, as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ, we wait eagerly and joyfully for the second. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.